Hey, everybody. Good morning. Let's see if I can get this to the right height. I'm significantly shorter than these guys. Uh, how are y'all doing this morning? Welcome to Resurrection City Church. My name is Julie. I'm one of the pastors here, uh, and I just want to give a special welcome to any of you who might be new or are visiting with us, um, or maybe you're back after being gone for the summer. Uh, we're just so glad that you're here with us this morning. So when I was in college, uh, I took a small groups communications class. It was required when I was uh, in the teaching program. And on the first day of the class, the professor split us up into groups of four and said, this is your group, your group for the whole semester. You get to every week, you will be assigned a group project, and you will have to give a presentation every Monday uh, of the week for the whole semester. She said, you cannot switch groups, and you will learn to work together. And if any of you have ever been a part of group projects in school, you can see how this would maybe be a little bit terrifying to, be, to find out you're going to be stuck with the same four people for the whole semester. Uh, but honestly, I'm glad that that was the way it was, because we learned a lot about how to work together. And there are a lot of lessons that stick out to me from this class. But one in particular was about halfway through the semester, our professor had us take this uh, kind of, I don't know, personality assessment type of a thing about how you prefer to work in a group. And it told us, like, which roles you like to play in a group. Maybe, you know, are you the one who likes to have all the ideas? Are you the one who likes to organize how you're going to accomplish those ideas? Uh, and kind of so on and so forth. And when we took that assessment, we realized none of the people in my little group of four had the skill or gift of finishing projects. None of us like to do the final details of things. And so that explained a lot about why every Monday morning at 7 a.m. before our 8 a.m. class, we were scrambling to put the last final touches on our presentation. And I bring all of this up because I think it really illustrated a point that you need all skills and all different types of gifts to work on a team together well. And really, this is true in any kind of group setting that you might find yourself in, right? If you're in a choir and all you have are sopranos, you're not going to have much of a diversity in sound. You're going to have no harmonies. The music can't really be experienced in all of its beauty. Or if you're on a soccer team and all you have are people who play the position of goalie, you're not going to have very much of a team. And I think you can all think about group projects or things at work that you've been a part of where you've found, oh, if I don't have this type of person on the team, it can really make it hard to finish the project. We need diversity in order to have unity and for groups to be able to really work together. And that's really what Paul is going to be talking about in this chapter of 1 Corinthians. So if you're just joining us, we have been going through the letter of 1 Corinthians uh, and we are in chapter 12. And so I'm going to read the entire chapter. Uh, and if you have been with us, you've known that we um, have been taking kind of bigger chunks of the letter at a time. There's value in focusing in on small parts of things. There's also value in kind of following the whole argument of the letter. And that's what we've been practicing with this series. So I'm going to read the whole chapter, uh, which is a little bit long, but I, I know you guys can do it. I know you can uh, listen through the whole thing. So here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, dear brothers and sisters, regarding your question about the special abilities the Spirit gives us, I don't want you to misunderstand this. You know that when you were still pagans, you were led astray and swept along in worshiping speechless idols. 
So I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus, and no one will say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to another, and to another, uh, to someone else, the one Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles, and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free, but we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I am not a part of the body because I am not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I am not a part of the body because I am not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the more honorable parts do not require this special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for one another. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. Here are some parts of the body, some parts God has appointed for the church. First are apostles, second are prophets, third are teachers, then those who do miracles, those who have the gift of healing, those who can help others, those who have the gift of leadership, those who speak in unknown languages. Are we all apostles? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all have the power to do miracles? Do we all have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? Of course not. So you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. But now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. So that's the end of the chapter there. Paul's really teeing it up for chapter uh, 13, which we will do next week. But as we think, talk about this uh, passage, it's helpful to keep in mind a little bit of the context from earlier on in the letter that we've seen. So the Corinthians, as we've talked about earlier on this summer, thought of themselves as very spiritual people. And it was something that they were very proud of. 
And through this letter, Paul is saying, yes, let's rely on the Spirit. That's a good thing. But let me help you course correct a little bit of what it means to be a Spirit-filled person. And one of the ways that the Corinthians really liked to show off their spirituality was through speaking, uh, as this passage says, this translation says, speaking in unknown languages, or you may have heard it referred to as speaking in tongues. And it's basically when someone speaks in an unknown language, like the passage says, during a worship service or during prayer, and then hopefully someone else is there to be able to interpret it for the rest of the congregation. And now Paul is not saying that speaking in tongues is good or bad. He just wants the Corinthians to see that speaking in unknown languages is not the only way to worship God in a spirit-filled manner. It's just one piece of the larger picture of the body of Christ. And because the Corinthians felt like speaking in tongues was like this really cool gift that showed off their spirituality, they thought it showed how special they were. They really overemphasized this gift at the expense of all of the others. And so Paul's saying, I don't want you to misunderstand the nature and purpose of these spiritual gifts. And because he's Paul, he turns it into a big teaching moment, which is what, what we love him for, uh, but it can get a little... He's got multiple points here that he goes into. So the first one that we want to look at is that he says that the church is meant to work in unity and diversity. And he says God designed it this way because that's a part of God's character. And I know that the idea of unity and diversity at first glance might sound a little bit like an oxymoron. How can you have both? How does that make sense? But Paul is talking about how it actually is necessary in order to have true unity. He says having everything be the same doesn't actually create unity, can actually destroy it. And the reason that Paul knows this is because it's a part of who God is and a part of God's character. So with God, we get God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they all live in unity, even though they are distinct. And I know it's a bit of a mystery, how do you have three in one? But it shows that this unity and diversity is really who God is, and therefore how we should be as a church and how we live this out. So for Paul, that gives us the basis that the church should have unity within diversity. And we're going to look at a couple of examples that Paul gives uh, about unity and diversity and how, how this all plays out and how he wants it to play out in the church setting. We're also going to look at a few things that Paul gives as like little warnings of, hey, these are things that can actually destroy unity. So watch out for these other things. So let's start first at one of the examples of how unity and diversity plays out in the church, talking about diversity of gifts. So Paul wants to show the Corinthians, like we said, that you need all the spiritual gifts. You can't have just one. Because in order to reflect God's character, we need to have all of these different gifts that have been given by the Holy Spirit. So, like I said, the Corinthians were obsessed with speaking in tongues. They thought it was the most spiritual thing, the best gift to have, and really the only gift that was needed. And I think if we're honest, this singular focus on one particular gift is something that the the capital C Church, church over history, over time, has continued to struggle with throughout the years. In some churches, speaking in tongues is still held really highly, maybe at the expense of other gifts. 
And others, gifts like preaching and knowledge are held as the highest, right? If you want to know the best way to connect with God, you have to know all the right answers about the Bible. You have to have the best theology. And being asked to preach or to teach, that's when you know you've really arrived. And in other churches, still, there might be ones that hold up mercy or acts of service as the highest level of spiritual gifting, right? The most spiritual people are the ones that are out building houses and ending hunger and doing things to really make a difference in the world. And so no matter where you are, no matter what church setting you're in, you're probably always going to be fighting this because we're human and we tend to gravitate towards certain things and make them higher than others. So whatever it is, whatever your experience has been, whatever maybe you think of as like the highest, the ultimate spiritual gift, Paul would say you can't have just one gift be the focus of your church. You need diversity of gifts in order to have unity. And I used several analogies earlier that you might be familiar with, right? Music, sports, working on a team at work. And Paul uses an analogy that would have been pretty common, um, commonly used in different arguments and kind of the way people made uh, their speeches and their different arguments in the community. And so that is the human body. So I'm going back. We're going to go back to verse 14 through 17. He says, yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I am not a part of the body because I am not a hand, that does not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if the whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts. God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. So this is one of the unity killers that Paul wants us to watch out for. He's saying, actually, uniformity can kill unity. If all being the same doesn't actually create unity, because if you're following Paul's body analogy, if the whole body were made up of one part, it doesn't create a great body, it actually creates a monster, right? Like if you had a body that was made of all eyes, that's not something we celebrate and say, wow, look at that great body. That's something we're afraid of, right? That's creepy. <laughs> and I maybe had a little bit too much fun uh, with clip art while I was doing this. <laughs> but I think the visual is helpful, right? Because if you have just one thing, that's not actually something that we're excited about. That's something that to be afraid of. Because not only do we just miss out, uh, but more importantly, we can't reflect God's image properly when we only have one piece of his character and his giftings being reflected in the body. So here's another uh, image for you that has always been helpful for me, is to think about God like a multifaceted diamond, right? Not only is he diverse in persons, three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but he has many characteristics, right? He's loving, he's all-knowing, he's all-powerful, he's merciful, he's just. And like a diamond, you know, if you were to hold, if you ever had a diamond this big, that'd be great. Uh, but if you turned it in the light, you know, you can get it to catch different areas of the light and it reflects in a different way and you can see the different aspects of the beauty of the diamond. And God is similar, right? When we learn about who God is through scripture, through prayer, and through community, through being in the church body, we see God's character reflected in different ways. 
right? If you're reading scripture, you might see in the person of Jesus, oh, there's, there's how he loves others and how he, you know, serves people or interacts with the least of these, right? Or there's his knowledge and how he explains scripture to other people. Or there's his power and how he heals people that he interacts with. And the same can be true as we interact with people in the body of Christ. We get to see, as we're all made in the image of God, we get to see these different reflections of who he is and his character as we work together as a body. Because we can't reflect God's image fully on our own. We need all the gifts to be present in their fullness to really reflect God's character. Paul says in verse 4, he says, There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it's the same God who does the work in all of us. So uniformity doesn't actually help us reflect God in all of his glory. It's like having just one facet of the diamond. It might still be shiny, but so is aluminum foil. And I'm definitely going to pick a diamond over aluminum foil. A body that uses all its different parts can better reflect all the characteristics of who God is to each other and to the world around us. So we need all those gifts to be represented. We need each and every one of you to use the gifts that God has specifically given you. you each one of you, you add value to the church, to the body of Christ. When you're here and when you're using your gifts, you're adding value to everyone around you. That's why everyone matters. That's why diversity matters if we want to have true unity. But within that, I think there's another sneaky unity killer that we need to watch out for, and that's a focus on ourselves. I think this one is sneaky because it's kind of a fine line between serving God and using the unique gifts that God has given you to build up the kingdom and love others and using the unique gifts God has given you so that you feel good and you feel fulfilled and that you get something out of it. And the Corinthians had kind of crossed that line. They had turned this gift of speaking in tongues into something they could use for like a spiritual experience. It was all about this experience that they sought out, largely just for the sake of feeling spiritual or having this, you know, high, the spiritual experience, the spiritual high. They made it all about themselves and what they got out of it rather than being about God and his glory and the good of the church. And I think this one hits our culture particularly hard because in our world, self-expression is often held up as like the highest good, right? Finding your true self and living it out that's seen as the biggest purpose in our life. From an early age, we're taught to start defining ourselves by what we like and what we're good at, right? I'm the girl who's good at sports. I'm the guy who gets good grades. And then we still do the same thing as an adult. We just change what those interests and uh, activities are, right? I'm the one who loves to travel. I'm the one who gets the promotions at work. I'm the mom and dad with all the parenting hacks. Whatever it is that we feel like we're good at or that we're interested in, can be so easy to take that God-given gift and turn it inward into something that we use to try and lift ourselves up or define ourselves or give us some kind of experience. We take those things that could be used for the church, for the good of the people around us, and for the world around us, outside of the church, and we use them instead to help us feel good or to reinforce the idea of ourselves that we're trying to project or to create. 
Now, don't hear me wrong, right? This is a fine line. You should use your gifts in the church. And God did make you unique. And I want you to know the, all of the ways that God has wired you specifically. I want you to find out those things about yourself. And it's ultimately not about you. It's about God and his glory. And it's how we can use that to bring glory to him. And that means that sometimes God might be asking you to serve in ways that don't feel like they're your ultimate self-expression or that are the most fulfilling, but that might still build up the body of Christ. And graciously, for the most part, God created us that when we use our gifts and then when we live out the purpose that he's given us, we actually do feel that joy and that uh, excitement about it. And that's, I think, a huge gift that God has given us, that when we are living into the unique gifts he's given us, that we get to feel that joy as well. But I think we're mixing it up when we make that excitement or that joy the first priority, right? Self-fulfillment is not the first priority of using our gifts. Its first priority is to serve God. So when you're considering an opportunity to serve, uh, you know, I'd encourage you to think about what kind of questions do you ask yourself? I think it's all too easy for our first questions to be, well, what will I get out of this? Or is this convenient for me? But when we do that, I think we're turning that focus in again on ourselves. And it's something that we need to consider as we serve in the church. And like I said, it's nuanced, right? When you serve, I want you to use your gifts. I don't want you to be stuck in something that you, that you really dislike doing or that doesn't give you joy. And I want you to remember your true motivation behind it. And we're going to get into talking about the motivation behind these things even more next week, right? If you caught at the end of chapter 12, Paul says this like, now let me show you a more excellent way. Uh, and I kind of left you on a cliffhanger there. But we're going to get into that next week about how we can really check our motivation and make sure it aligns with God. Okay, the second thing that Paul really wants us to see in this is how we also need diversity of people within the church. So Paul gets into something that the Corinthians didn't necessarily ask about, but he still thinks that they need to know. So he's going to start mixing his metaphors a little bit. He's going to kind of take that metaphor of the body and kind of bring it to this new idea about a diversity of people within the church. So I'm going to jump back into the passage in verse 20. He says, yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually most necessary. And the parts that we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with, clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the more honorable parts do not require the special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. Okay, so he's, like I said, he's taking this body analogy and now he's applying it to something else. And if you were here last week, you might have a little bit of a sense of to what Paul is referring to. Because right in the previous chapter of this letter, right before this, he's been responding to the fact that the first Corinthians have been letting social status divide them, in particular in how they do their Lord's Supper meal. So it's just a quick recap from 1 Corinthians 11. He says, So when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers, 
As a result, one person remains hungry and the other person gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? And as Joel talked about last week, we don't know exactly what was going on with this whole situation with the Lord's Supper, but it was likely something along the lines of the richer people getting more of the food or all of the food and all of the wine because either, you know, they didn't have to work as late, so they were able to be there, or, you know, could have been different reasons. But basically, they were creating these social hierarchies within the body. The people who, you know, were richer, the people who had more, they were treating themselves as if they had greater honor than the people who didn't. And I think Paul brings this back up here because it's another unity killer, right? He says creating these social hierarchies is going to harm the unity of the body. And he uses this analogy to make this point. He says, in fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And here's a real-life example for you. Um, last year, I broke my toe, my big toe, in two places. Would not recommend. Um, and I typically do not think of my toes very often, right? I don't think of them as a part of my body that is honorable and has lots of dignity. In fact, I kind of think feet are weird, right? Like, I don't really love to look at them. Uh, and yet, when I broke my toe, I realized how important it actually is. Uh, and I know that some of the physical therapists here would tell you how important it is to your walking and your balance and all of the things that you need in order to move around and function. And so I had to wear this boot for a long time, and then I had to wear this weird thick sandal thing so that I would make sure that the toe healed properly. And then after that, I ended up doing physical therapy because I messed up the way I walked so badly because I was dragging that boot around for so long. And it messed up everything else. It hurt my back and other parts of my body. So it's this, the reason Paul uses this analogy is because it's something we can relate to. We know that when one part of our body suffers, it doesn't just stay in that spot, right? It impacts everything else that we do. And the same thing is true in the church. This is why we cannot have social hierarchies. Even the parts of the body that seem weak or not important to the world are important within the church. So Paul's saying, if you think you're better than other people at church, you better check yourself. And let's be honest, none of us wants to admit that we might think that we're better than someone else. But I encourage you, and I'm challenging myself with these questions as well, to think about things like, are there certain people at church that I avoid talking to or getting to know? Do I think I'm above participating in the church's community? Do I think that if I were in charge of something, then it would obviously be better because I know more than whoever might be leading it? Or do I treat some people with more respect than I do others? Whether you do it to their face or even if you just do it in your head, it's the same thing. It's that idea that we think we might be better than other people in the community. And like Joel said last week, it's all level ground in the church because we come here with the knowledge that Jesus came and died and rose for us even when we didn't deserve it. He didn't come for one group of people because they were better than others. In fact, he came to us when we all didn't deserve it. And yet he offers us grace and makes it possible for us to be in relationship with God. 
So when we come here, we have to come here with that knowledge and actually take it to heart and use it in how we interact with each other and how we uh, be a part of the body and live out community in the church. And as we seek to reflect God as community, we need to extend that same grace that's been given to us to everyone else. No matter what their socioeconomic status is, their race, their gender, their education level, their political leanings, whatever it is, we cannot create these social hierarchies because it will kill unity within the church. And the church is designed to function with unity in diversity so that we can best represent Jesus to ourselves, to each other, and to the rest of the world. So honestly, what it comes down to is the bottom line is that we need you. We need your unique gifts, your unique experiences, your unique perspectives, the unique ways that God has created you and has written your story. And when you're not here, or when you choose to not engage in the community, we all miss out. Because it's only together, through the diversity of how God has created all of us, that we can truly experience God's character. Will we do it perfectly? Absolutely not. But I'd rather have some of everyone all together getting to experience some facets of that, even if they're flawed, than having just, you know, not have it or to have just one facet of it. And the church is not meant to be a place where you just come, take it all in, and leave. And I know that that's hard. (laughs) I know that for some people, that's what they're looking for. Right? I've actually had people tell me that. They've said, you know, I don't want to, you know, we're choosing to go to a different church because people know when I'm not here and I want to be able to just come and go as I please. And I get it, right? I know that it's easier to do that. But you're missing out on so much and we are missing out on so much when that happens. And I get it. If you're in a season where you're coming from a place of church hurt or burnout or something like that, Right? We're sensitive to that. We understand. I'm not going to make you jump into leadership or serving right away. But I do want you to be here. Right? I want to experience the way that God has uniquely made you to show those different aspects of God's character to me. God designed the church this way because it ultimately gives him glory and it helps us represent him. And here's the flip side of that. Right? If we need you, the Equal and opposite truth is that you need us. (laughs) You need all of the people around you. You need the people sitting next to you. And when you're not a consistent, regular part of the church community, you're missing out just as much as we are. You're missing out on the full expression of God's character because this is how he designed the body to work. It's all together. And I know it's easy to think that we can do the Christian life on our own or we can just listen to podcasts or whatever it is, But the truth is that when you're not actively, regularly involved in serving and being in the church community, you're missing out on experiencing the full picture of God. And I don't want you to miss out. I want you to experience that fullness. Yes, it's messy, but it's also beautiful. And it's a body that celebrates and honors and works together with all of its parts. And I want you to experience that because I have experienced the goodness of it. Right? I have experienced the times when I've run out of words to pray for a situation and someone in the church prays with me or for me. And I get to experience their gift as a way to help me connect with God. 
I've experienced when I'm in a dark place or I'm having a really hard time believing the truth of God that someone comes along and encourages me with scripture or with words of truth and I have experienced God in a bigger and fuller way because of them. Right? There are countless examples of this and I want you to experience it in the same way that I have because I know that even when it's hard, it's worth it. And so if you're not currently experiencing that, if you're not currently involved or engaged, I encourage you to try it. And if you are already actively engaged in the community and in the body, then I encourage you to remember the reason why we do this, right? It's not our own self-fulfillment. It's God's glory. It's shining his light to the rest of the world. Now, we're going to move into a time in our service where we do something that churches have been doing for centuries. Christians have been coming together to worship as a body and to take communion. And communion is this great reminder of the fact that we are all one body and that Jesus came to fully represent God, even though we will only be able to do it partially. He comes to fully do it, and then he dies on the cross for our sins, for all of the times that we are going to fail to perfectly represent God and his character. So it's not only a reminder of what God truly is, what his true characteristics are, but it's a reminder that there's grace for the times when we fail in this and the times when we aren't able to fully represent God uh, in what we do. And so as we do this, um, I encourage you to just reflect on that, to reflect on the grace that God gives us, the representation of what it means to have God in our world uh, reflected to everyone so that they can see. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to head into that time of worship and communion. Heavenly Father, thank you for designing the church the way that you have. We know that it can be challenging. We know that it can be messy, but we also can see the beauty of it. We see how working together, being one body, can reflect you. And we get to experience examples of your love and your grace and your mercy as we interact with one another. So Lord, I pray for all of us here this morning that you would just give us that reminder of why it is that we gather as a body, why it matters. Would you encourage us in that? Would you challenge us in that? Would you help us to become more unified as a body of Christ uh, here at Resurrection City Church? In your name we pray. Amen.